This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Today, I'm going back to give more time to an interview I conducted last fall. In 2008, Julian Coster recorded one of those albums that really divides a room. The Singing Saw at Christmas is a collection of Christmas songs played on the saw. And the ethereal whine of the saw is either transporting or grating. Me, I'm all about it. Coster emerged as part of the Elephant Six Collective in the early 1990s, and he played saw, banjo, and a host of other instruments on albums by Neutral Milk Hotel, Olivia Tremor Control, Elf Power, and his own project, The Music Tapes. Coster maintains an innocent, playful posture in his music, one that allows him to find wonder in the world around him. When he last played New Orleans, he set up a small circus tent inside the Howlin' Wolf, scattered instruments around inside of it, and asked the audience to sit on the floor in his tent while he performed in the space that he transformed into one that would help his fans join him, not just in the music, but in the spirit of the music. Coster contends in his liner notes to his Christmas album that, quote, singing saws sing all by themselves. The idea that a human being could play one, as one might play a cello or a tuba, is a common and understandable misconception, as this illusion is encouraged and cultivated by the saws themselves. That sensibility filters through his music and his conversation. When we talked, he was joined by engineer Nisi Gallons, whose role was clearly to keep the conversation from floating away. We'll hear a track from the Music Tapes 2012 album, Mary's Voice, and then we'll be back on the other side with Julian Coster and Nisi Gallons. This is The Big Beautiful Shops on 12 Songs. I loved the singing saw at Christmas time when it came out. And it is the first al- first Christmas album I had with music played on the saw. And so I have to you know, had to ask about it. So so what's the story behind that record? <laughs> There's a lot of stories behind that record. Um and I Neezy, how do we do this? What part do you want to tell? Um, I mean, there's, there's the, I mean, I think there are two overlapping realities and Julian tends to prefer representing the, uh, the less apparent of the two. Sure. And while I can kind of handle the, the one that, you know, might, you might be able to reach out and grab. Right. <laughs> as as the producer yeah he's he, he's the uh that's that i guess that's kind of the producer part of the producer's job 
Um, but even before the record came to be, we were talking about this the other day. It's like um, what, what had sort of happened was I had um, been working on uh, a record um, or we had, we had together too, uh, actually. And, 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 um, you know, for six years, um, <laughs> and merge, you know, had sort of, they, they were ending their weekly meetings, uh, by bringing, like putting up the music tapes record on as the next topic. And that just meant the meeting was over because I, I would never turn it in ever. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was like an in joke amongst them. And then one day I did, you know, it, one day it was finished and, um, you know, sent them this package with like the finished thing with, with like all these artworks and pop-up things. And they were all excited, but I had also mentioned this kind of dream, um, you know, which was, uh, you know, uh, to make this record, you know, we, we really have always, you know, treasured, um, you know, both kind of like uh, the folk, folk recordings, which we'll probably get to later, um, but also, um, you know, thrift store records, which was a lot of 50s, 60s stuff, and a lot of it was like kids stuff. And, and I just always kind of pictured this record, the singing saw Christmas time, I could see the cover with a Christmas tree and a saw. And so I mentioned it to them. And then easy, do you want to take over? Oh, um, I mean, my, my recollection of this is that basically they decided like, okay, well, if the, you know, if the music tapes are going to do stuff again, then like, why don't we just like, we'll put out all of it. So, so if you want this Christmas record, you got to finish it and hand it in to us within like the next two months or something. Or, Or less. It was insane. Yeah. Basically we had to hand it in so that they could like press it and put it out in like, I think they've released that record in like August or something, which was weird. Oh, well, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think they released it in August. And I think we had to, turn it, we had to, oh, maybe, maybe, but we had to turn it in in the summer. You know, they, yeah. Basically we had, you know, a month or two to turn something that was just an idea into a finished album and 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 it was the kind of thing where you know like you were saying this the other day like where it's like when the record label wants to put out your singing saw only christmas record you kind of got to jump on it because that moment they might stop and think about it for a minute or, <laughs> you know um, right. right if we were like well we yeah we want to do that but it's going to take a year well probably six months later they'll be, decide that it maybe isn't a great idea um yeah and so we were just you know it was kind of like but we also so but to make things really challenging um and i'll I'm going to stay on the reality front with you a little bit uh i mean on this the 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 reach out and touch front a little bit um but uh you know it was it was um spring uh and summer i think spring into summer um, on this island in Maine, uh, which do you, do you want to describe a little bit of it? I mean, if, if you want to tell the whole story, basically you have to start with, um, the fact that you also couldn't really play most of these songs very well. (laughs) (laughs) 
and in some cases you didn't you didn't even know some of them um so there's the whole thing where we stayed up all night making you know we sat down to start recording and i was like this isn't good this will not do so you need to practice and for various reasons julian had to go to texas and maybe he'll tell a story of his texas adventure but basically in like he spends the the month of march or april um practicing christmas music in texas (laughs) 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 home to maine to the island where all of the birds are waking up and and singing the house is completely uninsulated oh great so and you just can't have birds like you can't have like clearly spring birds on a christmas record um nor can you have lawnmowers and the thing is the island that we live on was summer it was summer um people uh island mostly so there's only 200 people or something who lived on the island all year but then there was like all these people who came in the summer and so the summer people started hiring landscaping crews all over the island Um, before they would come so there was lawnmowers and there was uh there was birds happy birds and there were even some incredibly loud flies (laughs) um (laughs) and none of those things can be on a christmas record so um well maybe before we talk about the recording though if i I can tell you the do you want to hear the, the texas part of it really quickly um Yes and no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. No, I feel like this that this is going to be complicated. But go with it. All right, I'll make. I'll try and make it really, really short. My mom fell in the shower, and oh. I had to go stay with her for a little while. And she lived in the in uh, um, Huntsville, Texas, mm-hmm. um, which I was kind of excited about when I got there because there was a big billboard that said "Home of Lead Belly," and I was. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, and, and there's a really beautiful town square with like a soda shop and stuff like that. And I spent most of the time with my mom making her listen to these Christmas songs over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and, uh, but I did get to go out in, into the, 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 um, the pretty square. And one day I was taking a walk and I really felt like I was, somebody was watching me. Like I was being stared at, like when you feel that, you know, and I looked around and there was nobody there. And like, I walked further down the road and I was still just I mean it was really eerie like my 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 hair was standing up on end on my neck and stuff and then I happened to look up and there was this tall tower and there was a man with a gun pointing it at me staring at me and it was the wall of a maximum security prison it turns out yep. that's where lead belly that's where he lived. Ah, That's what ah, brought him ah, to Huntsville. I, I, I was, I was going to guess the ending to that because I was a kid in Houston. And once a year, we would go up to Huntsville for the Huntsville Prison Rodeo. And so when you, and Lead Belly's oh, up. Yeah. The, and the other yeah. place Lead Belly is associated with is Angola in Louisiana because prison. And so it was like when you mentioned Huntsville, I'm like, I bet Lead Belly was incarcerated in uh, in Huntsville too. Yeah, so, it's like they, they now now they have all this civic pride about him, but they they brought the poor guy there, and you know it, it is so. Anyway, that's that part of the story. So needless you, to say, oh sorry, go ahead. Needless, 
needless to say, all of that really put Julian in the Christmas spirit. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and, and so did you make your mom listen to you practice and learn these songs? Um, I did. I did. Uh, and, um, you know, you know, she was a, she was a really good sport about it. I mean, she and I hadn't actually been together for Christmas for a really long time. Uh, and, and so it was, I guess it was sort of like having a little bit of a, of a Christmas in, in April. Um, and, uh, my mom had been a dancer when she was young too. And my, um, my calf muscle started, uh, cause I was, I started playing so saw so much and the vibrato, um, when you're encouraging a saw to sing, you have to kind of shake your, your calf, your right calf muscle, uh, you know, to kind of get it all happy and wiggly and, or, you know, and, uh, anyway, uh, if you do that 20,000 times more than you're used to, it starts, the muscle starts seething up. So she was teaching me all these dancing, like she was all injured, but she was teaching me dancing stretches for my calf. It was pretty <laughs> fun. Yeah. <laughs> So did you know how to play the saw before this or did you learn the saw for this project? Oh, no, I, I'd been encouraging saws to sing for billions of years at that point. But, you know, this was, you know, it's an acapella, you know, choral record of music that a lot of the music was new to me. Um, and, you know, so we were also doing some some of Mizi's favorite songs. Um, and, uh, you know, I just hadn't, I'd actually not even heard some of them ever. Oh, wow. um, you know, they're a part of his childhood and, and, uh, you know, so, but it, it, um, you know, so yeah, so it was more just that I wasn't really, and I guess what you would call shape right. <laughs> and, you know, cause it, was, it, it happened so unexpectedly that suddenly the record had to be recorded. So, um, and we also, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, so I just want to make, so did you, so was this like a spontaneous idea while you're talking to people at merge? Like, Hey, by the way, I could make a Saw Christmas album. Um, or was this something that you had talked about and like while you had their ear, figure let's just throw that one in there? You know, in my head at all times, there are many things that one might call a fantasy right. um, or or a dream or a someday, you know, something I want to do someday. Um, and yeah, I guess I don't know why, what made me mention it. I mean, I guess I mentioned it because it was something that it would be really have been really wonderful to do. And that was the feeling, but I never expected also because I just hadn't dealt with release schedules or anything for a few years and, and merge had grown, you know, the, the, there were more people working there and it was a bigger, a bigger operation than it used to be. And, and, um, and so it was really just like, suddenly I was hearing from all these different people with deadlines and this and that, and we'll need that and we'll need that and we'll need that. And I was just like, Whoa, because at first it was like, wow, they want to do it. And then suddenly it was this bombardment of like, of like real, like 
reality stuff where it's like, wow, wow, you know, we're, we're going to have to do this. And we didn't have, I mean, do you want to talk about the, 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 you know, the, the, the RCA and the Ampex and stuff? Oh, well, um, so we had like the best preamp for, uh, recording. Well, period, but the mic and preamp combo, that's, that's also the best for everything, but particularly for saw is a RCA 44 ribbon microphone and a, you know, Ampex like 300 series. I forget exactly which one. Yeah. Like 350 or 351 is we've had both. both, But uh, so like those things are kind of the, the go-to pieces of, of uh, technology for capturing the sound and um, for uh, various reasons you, you kind of can't use a old ribbon mic with modern preamps um, I think they've gotten a little better in the last 10 years um, but at the time we didn't have anything that could you know make a ribbon sound good so the Ampex preamp came back this is boring technical stuff for people who really appreciate this sort of thing no, um, no, no. came back and it didn't it like blew up or it didn't it didn't work and you know i think it was like arcing and we were having issues with it so we didn't have our favorite equipment to use is what it amounts to um so we had yeah. to work with just other stuff so we weren't really like getting our favorite sounds right for yeah it was, it was yeah i would have never recorded saw in a million years without the rca was the you know it's the magic thing for the saw and um and then that preamp is the magic too but it's also literally the only thing you could use on that mic where it just sounds like you know it doesn't so we were really like and i don't even think i had all of my favorite all of the saws that are, are my, the, the main saws that have always sung with me even. Uh, and there wasn't any time or any way to get them. I think some of them were in storage or something. And so it was really crazy. Like we were having to sort of invent and, and, you know, and a lot of this was, was on you, but it was just like, we were having to like come up with ways to do this and make it sound good. Cause it's actually really hard to make a saw sound good if you don't have the right things. I, I was wondering about that because I could, I could imagine that if you, that if you weren't careful, it could just come off kind of thin and whiny. Well, it was it was really yeah, it's really hard and to do. And frankly, I mean, that record would have sounded ten times more beautiful if we did have, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But but we just you know I think it was just like it almost felt like let's do this. We have to do it. It has to be, you know? And so we just went for it. It's our big chance to make this. So we'll figure out a way. Sure. So I want to pick up on something you just said a minute ago, Julian, do, do different saws sound different? Oh, completely. Every saw has, has a, an, an entirely unique voice, just like, I mean, honestly, just like people, um, it's uh, even even if you get the same uh, maker or year or something, um, you'll find that you know it's it's how it's aged or how it's been treated will will change it totally. 
Um, so absolutely, that's why there's kind of a real choir feeling. And that's why there's always a saw, especially on this record like that, where we were, you know, we had a cappella, single singing, one saw and some things and different groupings. Uh, there's always, I think, a right, a right, you know, singer, uh, you know, among saws for a certain song or, or grouping, you know, that it, it really resonates with that saw. I don't know, pun intended. That's horrible. I'm sorry. Uh, 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 yeah. Is it is it hard to to is it hard to play uh it's hard to play saws in key uh would it be you know, like when you if you're trying to play two together is that a challenge well because they sing by themselves it's not a problem for me it's it's a it's a question i you know again it's like i i i, I encourage them to sing and they and they sing by themselves uh um, is, is how I explain it to people. Um, but you know, it, it is, uh, sometimes it is difficult for them to sing on key, you know, the younger ones, the ones who haven't been singing for as long, or sometimes it's just like a night where, you know, key isn't great. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're right on. Um, so, and, and I think we certainly had a little bit of everything, right? I mean, well, it's worth mentioning a, a fellow by the name of Ian Lutters, who, has a much better ear for pitch than I do. And he came along and, and sat in um, alongside me during a, a good part of the recording process. And he was much better at um, telling the the saws when they were maybe not quite on. Yeah. And they could get grumpy after a while if they keep not being on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I was thinking. I, I saw the, uh, <laughs> yeah. I saw Mary tapes or music tapes. I'm sorry, um, NPR uh, Tiny Desk uh, concert, and watching you playing uh, saw with someone else, to, uh, a saw duet, and I was trying to, and I was, and, and you know, since it's not a standard instrument, I have no sense of how hard or easy it is to find proper pitch and to make sure you're actually on, on your, that you're on, on notes that you both can hit. You know, it's like anything else, you know, it's, it's, it's time, loving time spent doing it, you know, works wonders, but you need to spend a lot of time. And by the way, that, uh, that uh, performance that you're talking about, that's Ian, Ian Letters, the aforementioned okay. Ian Letters okay, in great. the flesh. Oh, great. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. So you mentioned earlier that you were having the pro you, one of the challenges of recording this was recording such quiet music at a time when you had insects and lawnmowers and uh, sort of an island in Maine coming to life. How did you deal with that? Were you recording, you know, at night or what did, how did you handle the problem? It was completely at night. Oh, okay. We stayed up, we stayed up all night, every night. <laughs> How long? Did Which it wasn't take? that hard for us because we kind of, 
you know, we're, t- we're on that schedule anyway. Yeah. You basically felt horrible every day until about 8 PM, I think. <laughs> um, but no, I, yeah, we, and, 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 and we, yeah, and there's just no choice And it, but it was beautiful. I mean, it was, it was a fun experience because it's, you know, it's like that sort of outer space feeling of, of just being in a dark world and, and being on the Island. Um, it was really, it, it had a really, really uh, cozy feeling. I think that fit, you know, fit what we were doing. And, and, and so, you know, I was at the end of, at the end of the day, I think we were, you know, probably kind of grateful for, the lawnmowers and all of that, that made us do it all night. Also there are deer, deer that would show up late at night sometimes on the Island and, and, and would come, you know, and so, yeah, it, it was, the saws love the deer. So. You know. Yeah. Deer come sniffing at the window. Yeah. I would throw apples. I had, I, I would get like big bags of apples and throw them out there. Oh, that's great. There a lot ignore, of, ignore them. <laughs> there's a lot of fairy noises, like fairy horns when they, you know, are coming and going. Um, and I generally try to keep those out um, because I felt like they, the way that the sound carried through the air gave away that it wasn't, you know, like 15 degrees outside. Right. You were talking about, you know, about sort of being in a, you know, feeling like you're in a bit of a different place from everybody else because you're up late at night and you're on a different schedule. Uh, and while everybody else is thinking about the start of summer, you're thinking about Christmas. Did that kind of sort of sense of being isolated from the world outside you make the project sort of easier to connect, easier to stay focused on? I, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, um, the island itself was a very, you know, isolated place in some ways. And um, I think, in, you know, in a lot of ways, it wasn't hard, you know, the, and, and I think both Nisi and I probably have a lot to say about this because I think Christmas is the, the, the thing that I'm about to talk about. The feeling is really important to both of us. Um, but certainly, you know, it's like I listen to Christmas music all, all year round. I mean, I was just at my aunt's house and, and it was like about a month and a half ago and, and, and I happened to be playing something through speakers. And she was like, Julian, are you listening to Christmas music already? You know, because it was September or something. And I was like, you, you have no idea. I mean, I, I literally listen to it all year long. Um, and, but but it's, it's not just, it's because of what the music is and what it evokes. Um, and I think that that, you know, that's, something that I, I want, you know, I want around and I know, I know you feel the same way. Um, I mean, I think Christmas music, we, the subject of Christmas music, uh, in and of itself is requires, um, some defining like what, you know, what mm. do we consider Christmas music? What, you know, and where did it come from? What's its origin? Um, you know, so like, what is it trying to convey? Because in some ways, I think we've attached this, this stuff to, you know, a, a time and a place that is just, a, you know, a small part of the picture. 
And so what Christmas music means to Julian or to myself is, is something that's a lot more complicated. How do you think about it? Either one of you. Yeah. What Julian, why don't you say what you have to say first? Okay. Well, I just actually, actually like we're talking about the, the, you know, the origins of Christmas, which I thought, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Cause it might be nice to bring up now. Well, I mean, I mean, I think, I think, most everyone knows, obviously, the, you know, like some of the basic stuff you have, you know, you have your birth of Christ stuff and how that relates to your, you know, um, you know, Europe basically being, uh, you know, pagan Europe being settled, you know, settled by Christians and the conversion stuff that happens where basically people attach a lot of their, these really ancient traditions and beliefs to the Christmas holiday. Um, everybody knows about that stuff. Um, so like that's part of it, but that is really only a small percentage of the, what, you know, we would consider our Christmas music canon, um, some of the songs that Julian did that he didn't really know were some of the, the like 18th or 19th century pieces, like, Oh, oh Holy Night, for example. Sure. Um, but the bulk of the material that people know is from the 20th century, um, beginning in the thirties, mostly in the forties and fifties, um, you know, songs like Silver Bells and, um, Silent Night, not Silent Night. That's yeah. 19th century. Yeah. But uh, what's the other sure. one I'm thinking of? White Christmas. White Christmas. White Christmas. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. thinking of. Yeah. 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 40, yeah, 44. yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those songs um, were written by um, Jewish immigrants. Um, you know, an awful lot of that material is written by people who were leaving. Europe, Eastern Europe, particularly to get, you know, escape pogroms and coming to America and, you know, Johnny Marks, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all that stuff. Also another, um, you know, Jewish American. So there's this huge part of 20th century, um, you know, Christmas culture that is coming from this particular group of people who, if uh, Julian knows his ancestry well enough, he's part of that lineage as well. I guess that's part of the the magic of it to me is that you know it's like if it's like the the magic that we're relating to like the the, the magic that it's delivering the feeling that it that all of this stuff when it's really hitting delivers it's like you know there the, a lot of the traditions that are are wrapped into christmas celebrations come from things pagan things uh and and then sort of kept morphing like folk songs do like stories do like fairy tales do into different iterations um, 
because they were so essential and beautiful and important that they became central and important and beautiful parts of different cultures, uh, even different religions. And, and then, and then like, as Nisi has kind of, kind of pointed out, uh, capitalism, you know, you know, you know, the kind of real capitalist Christmas. Um, but what I, I, I feel, you know, what we were talking about before is like, I, I feel like when any of these things hit, uh, when, when, when the feeling is really there, regardless of the context, be it a commercial context or, or a very Christian context or a, a pre-Christian context, it, it is communicating this really, really true, important, beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, so that's why I love this stuff. And also when I was a kid, Santa Claus, we were talking about this because we, before we started recording, I think, um, because, you know, Nisi, Nisi has a six-year-old and Alex, you have an eight-year-old, um, both daughters. And um, they're, they're the kind of perfect age. You know, it's like for me, the fact that, you know, I, I remember being so full of imagination and turning to imagination, needing imagination as a kid as a coping mechanism for being alive. And, you know, having math and, and all of this kind of, you know, quantitative thought being pounded into my brain. But yet I was also told there was a Santa Claus and that he was going to come down the chimney um, and, 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 um, and things like the tooth fairy too, but Santa Claus had a much bigger place in our, in our culture. And I was allowed to believe that. And that meant so much to me and people's behavior during the holidays, you know, walking around with candles, singing to each other, knocking on each other's doors. Like all of those things felt like this magical world that I understood so deeply. I recognized so deeply. And it, it was definitely one of those things that made me feel like, yes, I want to live in this world. I want to exist in this world. I mean, math class definitely did not. Uh, alphabetization, maybe I would have left the universe early if it was all alphabetization. Because, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Um, the, one of the things I find really interesting in all this, I, that I, I agree, one of the things I personally gravi- gravitate toward to is... It is sort of a variation on the magic idea because I, 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 I know we, I see that. The other part I was going to do is the sense of community. The idea that this is, the, this is music that connects people. Uh, whether it is literally when you are, you know, if you're caroling. But even then, it's the last body of music that everybody knows. You know, you may play mm-hmm. your own version of Silent Night on a saw, but people need about five bars to recognize Silent Night. And someone who's never heard it on a saw, someone who doesn't know you, will hear the start of that and they know Silent Night. They can sing Silent Night in their house while they're listening to you play the, play it on the saw, uh, on, the, on the record. And it's the body of music that, again, we can... Uh, you know, we can walk out in the street and start singing it, and people will all know at least a verse. And there's not that much music anymore that has that kind of place in the culture and that kind of power. That whether you believe in a you know in the Christian uh, Christmas story or not, you still know those songs. And I always think that's really a really powerful, fascinating part of this. 
and gives almost every performance a certain amount of power and a certain amount of value because it's it, it restates how many and it restates how many different ways we can take this familiar uh, music that everybody knows and find yet another way to express it. Yeah, it's it's our music. You know, it's 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 the it's the music of our souls, and it just lives. You know, also like those children's, you know, like Red Rover or something like. How does that never go away ever? Right. You know. Is that an important part of music for you? Because I've seen um, I've seen a music tape show, and if I remember correctly, that that sense of play. Um, and that, I don't know if naivete is the right word, but that sense of, of wonder feels like an important part of almost any music that I've heard you connected to. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's what I want to make. I mean, I think in making things, you know, when you're alive, you, you're leaving, making things, sometimes you're leaving things behind, but you're certainly filling up time and space with things, no matter what you do. And, and it's like, that's what I want to exist. You know, that's what I want to share. Um, and so, you know, it's, I, it's, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to try to contribute to it, to, 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 if I'm going to make things to fill up any space or time that, that it be something that maybe somebody that can bring those feelings or be a conduit for that, that spirit, um, to other, to someone else, you know, that's generally what I'm trying to do in, in, in making things. Um, and easy, you had, you know, I think you said some really nice stuff about what the spirit of Christmas actually is or what it really is practically in our lives. Did, did you want to say anything about that? Um, I'll, I'll see. (laughs) I say lots of things and then, and don't recall specifically what I might've said, (laughs) but I will, I appreciate um, what you said about it being a, a body of music that many people are familiar with regardless of who they are and where they come from, that there is something that is very important about that. um, Because I think that, I think everyone is familiar with um, contains a reverence for something that that kind of transcends form, but we lack common forms. Um, that is to say that we, you know, when we all come together, we we have difficulty communicating or sharing in that um, love for something that we revere. Um, There's no, and uh, you know, so something like, you know, music fills that place for a lot of people, but when you have, you know, particular artists, you, you can really only appeal to a given fan base. There's nothing that there are so few things that extend beyond that to where, you know, every single person can connect to that thing and have a truly universal experience. And I feel like that's something that, um, 
you know, I, I speak for myself, but I think that Julian is also like this, that the hope in sharing what we share or, or creating what we create is to chase that state, to try to create that state or opportunity, shall we say, for other people. Christmas is a in Christmas music, you know, it's it's like Christmas is a time where it's it's actually okay and important to focus on loving people or loving the world. And it's it's important. We're allowed to focus on love and we're allowed to focus on beauty. We're allowed to be happy. We're about we're allowed to be glad to be together. We're allowed to look at other people and and you know look at them kindly, you know, like, like, like see, see what's lovely about them being there and what, what might be lovely about them. And, and art also can do that. You know, when we listen to a record, it's, it's, we're given permission if we can listen to the record for 45 minutes or whatever it is, you know, it's like we're given a similar permission or if we watch a movie or if we're told a story, it's like, I feel like, you know, that art and, 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 and Christmas and of course, you know, Christmas art, do hold that place and that, that very few things do hold in, in our society. Are there, what are some of the records, Christmas records that other people have recorded that do that for you? Do, do you want to start? Do you want to talk about uh, one of I mean, your, one of, you should just talk about, you know, the record that Laura Bolton recorded. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and I should also point out that, you know, I wasn't raised, um, I, I, I have, um, I'm a big mutt, uh, in terms of my family and, and my, my lineage, my lineage or what you, whatever you call it, but it's like, um, I wasn't raised, uh, uh, Christian or actually Jewish. Um, I was sort of around a lot of different religions, uh, but, you know, again, to me, like, and, 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 and so I, I got a lot of different I got the, all the Jewish holidays. I got the, I mean, I got a lot of holidays actually. Um, and I got exposed to a lot of holidays that way. Um, and, and I, I developed a deep love for holiday for it, for all the reasons that we just said about Christmas. It's true of many other holidays too. Um, but, um, the, the so I, I was, I went into a record store in, uh, you know, the back room, there's this back room of some record store where they just had all their, like junk records they called it and it was like you could just they would sometimes let you in uh it was this record store in denver um and uh we kind of were digging through and i found this this beautiful little 10 inch record uh called ukrainian christmas songs um that was an old folkways record and it, and it was just had the most beautiful cover like a like almost like a kind of wallpapery kind of pattern a beautiful uh, red and gold and then this really nice black and white picture of this Ukrainian family 
at their Ukrainian version of Christmas um, that were the actual family that was recorded on the record. And it was recorded by this woman, Laura Bolton, who ended up, you know, once I heard that record and realized I had found one of the more magical things I'd ever found on the face of the earth. Uh, and and it, it became a, a, a favorite record of yours, Tunes, I know. And then, um, and then, Nizi's really good at actually learning, you know, he found out, he's like, okay, who's Laura Bolton <laughs> and how did she make these records and found out all this stuff later that was just like, oh my God. So she made all these other records for Folkways and she had a Fairchild lathe, um, which is one of the most beautiful sounding record, uh, you know, recording lathes ever. Um, and she'd just go and she was really wonderful. There's a biography of her out there actually, but that record uh, became really important creatively and in, in in our world and in my world, uh, you know, I, I, I started doing saw cause they're Kolya, uh, uh, are, are Ukrainian traditional holiday songs. And I started having the saws sing them in choirs on music tapes records. Um, not, not Christmas records to start regular records on my, you know, and, and, um, I also would play that record nonstop on a loop, um, when I was writing sometimes, um, and, uh, but yeah, do you want to say anything about, about Laura Bolton or that record? Oh, uh, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's really, really lovely. And I, I don't know if I feel compelled to, to say anything too technical about it. you sent me an email that you wanted to talk about and, and I don't know this one yet so I'm actually interested in hearing what you've got is you talk telling me that there's a, a section in Scandal by uh, by Kurosawa uh, one of his movies that somehow you felt belonged in this conversation <laughs> do you want to start oh well yes so it it feels like parts of it sort of feel like like Kurosawa has, has been watching like Frank Capra or something and is really inspired by some of, uh, you know, what Capra manages to convey in some of his films. Um, so I should, I should interject that both of us consider him a great genius. Sure. What, Kurosawa or Capra? Well, both, both, but Ka Capra, because a lot of people are, are down on Capra, so I just wanted to... Oh, I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is the, is the greatest American film the end ah. anyway <laughs> scandal uh has this has this just incredible sequence um the it's it's one of the most delightful sections of any film but uh it involves uh mafune playing a harmonium or a pump organ yeah. Can I mention, well, could I jump in? Cause it starts with, for me, the sequence starts with the motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you that. Should, should, yeah. So, and we can, we'll try to get some of the sound of this because, um, 
you know, Christmas, of course, was still a, it's, I love the way Tokyo and, and Japan celebrates Christmas. It's amazing. And we could talk about that a little bit later if we have time, but, but, um, but anyway, it was newer there. And so Mifune, there's this uh, sick daughter of this crooked lawyer that Mifune has hired to try to um, uh, defend him in this very unjust situation. And, and the guy is just totally crooked, but he has this wonderful daughter who's ill, who, who Mifune is, is so taken with, he still hires the lawyer to try and give him money so that the, you know, the girl can get care. But anyway, he gets a, at a certain point, he gets a Christmas tree and he decorates it and he, he rides a motorcycle in this movie and he puts it on the back of his motorcycle. So the beginning of this sequence is Mifune, uh, Mifune riding a motorcycle across Tokyo with a Christmas, a decorated Christmas tree on its back. And then at a certain point when he starts slowing down, because a lot of the roads in um, Tokyo are actually just pedestrian roads or cars have to go really slow down them. He's like being chased by all these kids. Merry Christmas. It cuts over to this scene where uh, Mifune and is playing a pump organ, and I can't remember the actress's name, but there's a woman singing Silent Night, I think. And um, she's singing it in Japanese, right? Yes. I'm, I, yeah. my, it's actually been a minute, but definitely, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain. And uh, And there's just this kind of, they're they're playing for this sick girl and there's this lovely little scene with that that leads to a whole nother sequence with uh, with like a, a bunch of drunken, sad people in a bar singing "Old Lang Syne," that's also just wonderful. It's really magic. It's like the um, so the, the the lawyer comes back drunk after having betrayed Mifune, and then comes back to this scene of like this pump organ and 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 Silent Night and his daughter and his wife and this beautiful beautiful Christmas child. Yeah, and he and he, you see him looking in. Um, it's it's rice paper walls with like a, a window, and you see him looking in one of the squares, and you can see all of the Christmas decorations reflected in it and stuff. And then you just see his drunken, and and uh, it's Shimura, uh, uh, um, Takashi Shimura, who's one of my favorite people. I wrote a song about him once. Um, and he's an actor, but he has this incredible face, this incredible sad face, and. Uh, he just makes the saddest, drunkest face of all time. And then he just kind of goes, and falls over. And then runs out. He's like, I'm, you know, he's like, I'm scum. I'm the blah, blah, blah. And he runs and runs and runs. And Mifune has to chase him. And they end up in this bar. And there's like a, an old Lang Syne, a singing of old Lang Syne happens while they're there. And it's, it's, it's like all these drunken people like wanting a second chance or wanting a new, you know, and, and they're hoping next year, you know, they can, everything can be good. And, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's the scenes are, are just, it's, it's such a cool sequence. 
Thanks to Julian Coster and Nisi Gallons for the time and the talk. Thanks to AF the Naysayer for the theme music. And thanks to you for listening. By now, you know what to do. Like, follow, subscribe, or do whatever you have to do to get 12 songs in your podcast feed. We'll wrap up with one more from Julian Coster in 2008's The Singing Saw at Christmas. I don't think O Little Town of Bethlehem gets much love on this show, so we'll go there for a Saw version to finish today. Talk to you next week. <laughs>